This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Coach Hogg here in uh, the locker room this morning. By golly, we're back and uh, hope you had a good Christmas vacation and had Santa brought you everything you wanted. Well, within reason. You shouldn't just want, want, want. You have to give, give, give once in a while. But we're in, uh, of course, the manly Wardog Man Cave here in the Mellon Law Studio, protected 24-7, 365 by crime prevention. So, and uh, we'll get into the weather at the bottom of the hour, which is a big, big story, as you might imagine. But if you like crispy uh, Christmas, well, you've got a crispy Christmas wherever you are. You've got um, probably an opportunity to sit by a fire if there were one available. Well, starting out with Coach Hall's locker room this morning is uh, um, we, we would do normally if we'd been back on a Monday, but we uh, had the holiday spirit and hung out with our friends and all during the day before and the day after. So actually, it was a pleasure to drive around Gainesville yesterday where everything was shut down. There was absolutely nothing on the streets and you could go from point A to point B all over the community without interruption, practically. And it was rather enjoyable to see the city as it's um, seldomly seen, probably no other time in the year like it is over this Christmas vacation. I'll get to that in a moment, what that has to do with some of our local stories. But meanwhile, of course, uh, Coach Hogg's Locker Room is, takes a look at um, some of the events that are maybe on your horizon, maybe not. And one of the ones, of course, is um, how the University of Florida is doing in its athletics. And... Generally, it's not doing too well. Uh, the football team, of course, is a subject of much discussion since there's so much money involved in it. And the basketball team seems to be lackluster and not much interest in it. So I really can't tell you what's uh, going on with the athletic department uh, in terms of its enthusiastic um, choices it's made for its teams, other than to say that uh, for football is obviously a wait and see and for basketball, I guess it's still even a wait and see. Now, on the women's basketball, generally they're doing okay. They're obviously met their match against Oklahoma, which was a very strong women's basketball team. You could see what Florida still needs, and that is more speed and hustle, really, uh, out of the guard position than it has even now, and much more presence down in the post. Uh, it just doesn't have the type of people who can – uh, dominate down there the way some of these big uh, women's programs do. Hopefully uh, the coach will get that. And because uh, the coach is a, a very good coach, I think, and has brought the team a long way with what she's got to work with. Um, the other thing is, of course, uh, the the um, story about the, the football team is that it's mysterious. At, well, how shall we say this? Attrition rate. There has been a significant attrition rate to the Gators. Um, 
And I don't really have any problem understanding it because if you worked hard all year long to protect the quarterback and then the quarterback doesn't show up for the game, bowl game, and you have to go there anyway, uh, what, 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 you're expendable. I mean, obviously, the quarterback doesn't have any loyalty to you, although you protected him and opened holes for the backs and all that. Um, you're kind of on your own there. So there's a big attrition rate now of all places in what was considered to be uh, the strongest component of the Gators team, and that was their offensive lineman. They've had a starting offensive lineman, Ethan White, and a redshirt sophomore, uh, Michael Tarquin. Uh, they're transferring, and they have been major contributors to what has been considered the University of Florida Gators' best unit this season. Um, they, they are the starting left guard and right tackle, and they were expected to return. Uh, what beef have they got? Well, you know, there's this shadow lurking behind everything now, and it's uh, the transfer portal and name, image, and likeness, and all the money that's out there that really can't be traced. And who knows what kind of uh, dollar signs were waved in front of these two young men to get out of a losing season, uh, perhaps next year again, there's no guarantees, and get to one that's got a stronger program footprint already, and we'll see how that works out. But both of them were expected to return and become veteran leaders, uh, and that's not going to be the case. And so the question has come, where's the veteran leadership going to come from? Uh, the Gators are now going to enter next season uh, four or five starters down um, from the unit. Um, you've got uh, uh, Torrance, a junior, and uh, uh, Courage, another junior, who went declared for the N NFL draft. So uh, a lot of people are scratching their heads about uh, why um, the uh, Tarquin and White left and what is really going on there. Is there some money? Is there some name, image, and likeness money? Uh, what is making an impact on these players' decision? And um, has there been program what is now becoming known as program tampering. Program tampering is a pretty interesting thing. It used to be, uh, it went on before the player committed because then he was committed and he couldn't go. But now with the transfer portal, it's open season 24 seven, 365. And the thing that of course uh, contributes to this increased emphasis on program tampering is the prioritization of the financial opportunities that might present themselves for these players. Um, the high-level contributors that these two were, obviously, you would think would carry a high-level value in dollars. And therefore, if their quarterback whom they protected uh, went to the pros and, and, and reportedly was given a million bucks to play here, I don't know about all that, but I've been told that's so, um, what, what, what's my piece of the piece of the pie? So uh, I know that the old time players who are of previous generations are just scratching their heads uh, at what's happened to the sport they play. So uh, on top of that, the Gator line uh, unit was uh, reported to have some of the best coaches, uh, a guy named Rob Sale and Darnell Stapleton, uh, that they could get to coach these guys. So yeah, it doesn't seem it was for 
that they didn't have good coaching, it seems that, um, in fact, the opposite you would think would be true, that if these guys were really all that good as coaches, they would be attracting line talent uh, automatically. So we'll see if that is so. Um, but uh, so far, uh, it doesn't seem to be that way. And, you know, word travels fast among these young people as to where to go and where to maximize their potential and, and get the best financial return and playing opportunity. So um, they've had a couple of uh, defensive backs enter the transfer portal as well. And um, they've had one, a guy named Johnson, Trevez Johnson, who started nine games. And they've got a redshirt corner, Jordan Young, who also left. Uh, the staff's evaluation of Young was not as high, evidently, as it was on Johnson. So the, the whole problem here uh, is just starting up. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's something that all the schools are having to contend with, at least the big ones. The small ones are just going to get left out. Uh, they have no financial draw. Although one of the things that's interesting is a player may go to a small school, do exceptionally well at that small school, and then be purchased, if you will, by a bigger school. And that is kind of unheard of. That's not been possible previously for a player to do that. So if you don't get the initial look that you think you deserve, go to a smaller school, play, do exceptionally well, and then you've got some film, you can show some people, and all of a sudden you may find yourself purchased, if you will, by another school of a bigger caliber. So uh, they're going to be uh, that, that kind of jockeying around too among these young people. So that is something to report in Coach Hogg's locker room. One of the biggest stories, however, that I've come across is the way in which uh, we get to watch the NFL if you are that kind of person and you like watching pro football. And to pro football's credit, uh, they have gotten uh, some very competitive teams um, coming down to the wire here. And one of the great surprises for us, if you're a fan of them, which I've always been, has been the Jaguars. And one of the great things they've got going for them is uh, their quarterback, uh, Trevor Lawrence, can get rid of that. And I've always said, if you want to be a great pro quarterback, I'm not the only one that says it, of course, you want to get rid of that ball uh, within three seconds. So that means timing with your receivers, throwing it to a spot you trust they're going to be at. Um, you have to work all that out. And you get rid of that ball within three seconds, chances are you won't get sacked. Well, you're, that Trevor Lawrence can do that. I think he's got the second fastest delivery in the NFL now. He worked on it. He was up in the high threes, almost to a four, and he's worked on it. He's down now in the low threes, three-point whatever. And the fastest guy to get rid of the ball in the NFL is, is uh, Brady. So, Tom Brady, so you know what the gold standard is and what the others try to compare themselves to. So uh, that has paid off. Trevor Lawrence is delivering that ball on a rope, and the Jaguars actually – are winning their division right now, but have to cement this with their next couple of games. But uh, they are really exciting to watch 
On the other hand, the Dolphins, we, I tell you, everybody is probably of reasonable mind after having watched Tua feels that he should really get out of football now. This guy has suffered three concussions in this season. Uh, I have a friend who really died of this. He was a, a football player. He was a receiver, uh, took a lot of licks, and a very young man. He developed dementia. And in the end, you could go see him, and he wouldn't know who you were. Um, he didn't know anything. It was a basket case. And this was all brought on by the concussions and the collisions he had endured while he was on the football field. Very serious stuff. I think Tua has already perhaps met that met that uh, met met that um, um, threshold. I mean, there's a good chance he's already met that threshold because don't you see? This is pretty heady. Heady is a pun. Heady stuff we're dealing here with these. Uh, and he took another collision the other day. Now the NFL is trying to tighten this up and and trying to throw people out of the game who do this even inadvertently, but it's tough. So my point is the game has attracted more viewers than ever. The collisions are ferocious. They're trying to keep them uh, um, healthy, if you will. But now along comes, of all people, you know, YouTube. According to the Wall Street Journal, YouTube has just paid roughly $2 billion a year for the NFL Sunday ticket. And what this means is that more and more viewers are going to be watching NFL football streaming it rather than on, say, television, direct TV. I want to go into a little bit of those numbers for you because they're, they're, they, they're unbelievable, uh, kind of the money. And so when you see this type of money on the presentation end of all this, where you have YouTube and, and direct TV and all these people competing for the tele presentation rights, then you can kind of understand uh, that the players who are the ones risking their their concussions and all those things feel like they need to get in on this deal too. And this has now reached all the way down, as we know, even into the high school level where those guys are showing already talent that's promising enough to uh, sort of suggest they will even be running across the television screen one day. So uh, the... Uh, $2 billion a year to secure the rights of the NFL Sunday ticket franchise. And what it means is that uh, we're going to eventually see the NFL uh, migrate from traditional television to streaming. And already we watch quite a number of things streaming. We can watch Lady Gator basketball streaming. Uh, there's a lot of different things that are available, not on coming off the television, but coming off the internet. So the Sunday ticket will be a subscription-only package that will allow customers access to all Sunday afternoon games, even from out-of-market teams. So, you know, there's no more of this business where, uh, where you can't see so-and-so play because if you watch them on your screen, you may not go to see them in person. The league 
uh, average fee had been 1.5 billion per season for both residential and commercial rights. So we got $2 billion now. Uh, and YouTube has got the licensing residential rights for seven years. And uh, they are uh, scheduled to become the commercial rights, which are for the bars and the restaurants, are going for an additional 200 million. So uh, there's been a lot of competition for this among Amazon and Walt Disney and ESPN. Um, but um, YouTube is willing to spend top dollar for live sports content. They have, YouTube has 2 billion monthly users and 5 million subscribers. So the uh, uh, current right holder, DirecTV, has about 13.5 million subscribers. But like all cable and satellite providers, so saith the journal's article, it's been hit hard uh, by people who are more and more embracing streaming. You know, streaming, you already have the internet. With DirecTV, you got to have the satellite dish and all that business. So YouTube TV costs $64.99 a month before add-ons, and DirecTV has a $300 per season version of the Sunday ticket. So uh, DirecTV has had the exclusive rights to the Sunday ticket since 1994. Uh, this, is a, this is what's going on uh, with uh, sports presentations and our obsession with them. The platform is even growing on a global basis. You have seen the NFL go over to Europe, down in Mexico. Uh, that is not by accident, of course. That is to expand this NFL package. They also have a Thursday night football now. They got a Monday night football. And of course, over the holidays, we had the NFL on Saturday and Sunday. Now, uh, YouTube also has offered Major League Baseball uh, a package, and it would cost the consumer about $24.99 a month, and it would provide access to all regular season games outside of the viewer's local area. Um, so this uh, would be all simple from the point of view of YouTube, a roll up into one app. Um, and you don't have to have direct TV or um, what, what is its competitor of um, satellite business um, or the cable or any of that. You just go right straight to the app. Well, that's probably where we're headed. Now, in Major League Baseball, uh, you know, I've got a friend who, who played ball at one time and really kind of broke the bank in his day uh, with, with, uh, with his, uh, uh, his courtship with uh, the owners and the, and the team he played for. But that's nothing compared to what we have now. Uh, if, you, if you haven't heard of the owner of the Mets, um, he is worth Steve Cohen. He owns 97.2% of the team. He's worth himself $9 billion. To put that in perspective, um, Trump is thought to be worth about $3 billion. Uh, and some other guys, of course. Um, but he's got $9 billion, and he's got money that he's willing to spend. And he just spent uh, on Carlos Correa to get a 12-year commitment from him, $315 million. 
okay? $315 million for 12 years out of a shortstop, Carlos Correa. Um, this is setting the world of Major League Baseball, rekindling. It's Nobody seems to be able to compete with Cohen for money. He is a fully broken baseball's uh, kind of obsession with fiscal responsibility and, and not letting, letting the tail kind of wag the dog and to, uh, to uh, um, play these games and present these athletes in a reasonable financial culture. But Cohen has stopped all that with his uh, enthusiasm for uh, spending money to get great teams. The Mets projected base payroll with Cohen has climbed beyond $380 million uh, for th just 2023. Uh, it's going to be close by the time it's over the $500 million. The Mets payroll projected base payroll somewhere between $380 million and $500 million just for one baseball season by one team. And this is Cohen's approach to building a winning roster. And winning, of course, becomes that which people want to be around, you know, the old saying. And so there's uh, um, this attempt by him, whether anybody else can stay in competition with him or wants to, is, is going to remain to be seen. But right now, he has set uh, the, the benchmark for that. He is um, got an open checkbook. He's betting that the big payroll will pay off and that their investment will make the New York Mets the kind of the team that everybody has to chase. Now, uh, this guy, Correa, is 28 years old, too. So we're not giving this to some spring chicken, so to speak. This is a uh, signing up with a vet, a veteran, and uh, letting the dice roll the dice and see where it goes. So it's about actually, if you took a good close look right now, conservative number for the projected payroll for the Mets for 2023 is just under 400 million, but it may, of course, creep up to 500 million. So there we are with Coach Hall's locker room. It's a it is now, you know, it is it is what it is. I mean, here we have, um, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later in the show. We have a society that's in debt. We have um, inflation. We have spiraling costs on this and that. And yet we manage to condone and, and put up with um, all these prices to see these things, um, even ticket prices in person. And um, it's it's uh, really something that uh, doesn't seem to have any handbrake on it, and perhaps will go even higher. So I can remember peeking through the fence to see the spring baseball and all that. Well, that's not as cheap as you'll ever see it if you get to see it peeking through the fence. Uh, it's harder and harder to peek through a fence in these uh, spring uh, 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 camps that they have about Florida. The other thing we want to cover just a moment here with you before we get into our bottom of the hour story on the weather is I hope you haven't forgotten 
Andrew Gillum. Because um, a U.S. District Judge Alan Windsor, who was appointed by, incidentally, Donald Trump, uh, rejected Andrew Gillum's argument to have the federal charges uh, that have been brought against him dismissed. Now, we all know uh, that we dodged a bullet, uh, while those of us who are feeling right now that if we've got the state in good hands, we dodged a bullet by not having Andrew Gillum uh, be the governor. And much of what is sued after this uh, sting operation by the FBI with uh, Gillum's behavior in South Florida and the no-tell motel and all that even supported uh, all those reservations. Not everybody bought into the reservations. You know that the um, sheriff here at that time, Sadie Darnell, endorsed Andrew Gillum. Andrew Gillum is from Gainesville. That's the reason I'm kind of dwelling on this for a moment with you. His, uh, I think his godmother, some relationship in that respect, is Cynthia Chestnut. He's, of course, friends with Christopher Chestnut, who's been permanently disbarred. So uh, Gillum was indicted, along with his former consultant, if you remember, uh, Sharon Letterman Hicks, for making false statements to the FBI, uh, uh, conspiracy to commit wire beep, and committing wire beep. So uh, as we say, he was found unconscious in the Miami Beach hotel room, uh, apparently from an overdose. And um, the uh, Floridian was the first one to break this story. Uh, there's a picture of him on the floor of the, uh, of the hotel. Um, and, you know, naked on the hotel bathroom floor. So, um, you know, then the uh, uh, whole attempt by Gillum's attorneys, uh, in, you know, followed with trying to suppress it and, you know, Gillum apologizing and entering rehabilitation. And then um, he got into this general election with DeSantis. And uh, DeSantis, if you remember the number of votes that he defeated Gillum by, he defeated Gillum by 32,463 votes, which is probably the most, uh, probably the closest gubernatorial race in at least recent history in Florida. Now, um, that has, for some people, ancient history. But for the law world, it isn't ancient history. Um, Gillum has even, of course, played the race card and have has attempted to say that black Americans, um, uh, Caucasian police officers uh, cited, uh, you know, all this business and to no avail. He's going to have to answer in the court for the false statements he made, uh, attempt to really keep his um, alternative lifestyle hidden while he ran. You know, there are people who do this. Um, if they don't run for public office, many times they get away with it. They, 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 they have a wife and they have a couple of women other than the wife and this and that one another. And they juggle all this stuff and they kind of get away with it. But if they enter the public arena like Gillum does, you don't have any right to expect privacy when you enter the public arena. Oh, those, that's over. You're not going to get anywhere with that. People can look in every nook and cranny of your life and try to figure out who you really are and whether or not you're worth being trusted with a leadership role. And lots of times, sometimes, they, you know, sometimes anyway, they can recover from this. 
um, there, there are people who are, you know, alcoholics and they inner inner rehabilitation and and Gillum's obviously attempted here uh, some stab at rehabilitation, but the people's not the people not buying it, and particularly the courts are not buying buying it. So I wanted to bring that up and have you uh, be mindful of that how close that race was, and how really really um, um, dangerously. How to, how to say this, uh, we, we came to almost having this happen while he was in the gubernatorial office. I mean, while he was in the governor's office, he could have been um, discovered there and we dragged him out of the governor's office and all that business. So it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, as I say, as if you're in public life, uh, you've got to be prepared for all that sort of business. And if you're trying to run two or three games at the same time, Chances are they're going to be found out. But we're going to be back in just a moment and talk about the weather. Right now it's 34 degrees where I am, and uh, that's in the Warthog Command Center. We'll be right back on the Ward Scott Files. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. 
Welcome back to Ward Scott Files. Thanks to Lewis Oil for bringing us the weather. And, buddy, we got weather to bring you. 34 degrees right now, according to our computers, outside the Manly Warthog Command Center here in the Piney Woods of North Central Florida in God's country. And I can tell you that here we've been feeding the cattle quite a bit of hay and grain to keep the calories up so they can um, hang out, hang on there and, and um, weather the cold. But they're pretty hardy. Um, the hardiest animal I've seen in this weather is in uh, uh, out in uh, uh, out west, where in Wyoming, where you see the buffalo uh, in Yellowstone National Park, where it's 20, 25 degrees below, and that that, that buffalo could handle that without any problem at all. So you know there, it's possible for animals to endure this. But meanwhile, the Arctic cold has dropped temperatures uh, by some 30 to 50 degrees around the country. It's now got a name, the bomb cyclone. It's it's really, uh, I don't know who coined that. I haven't done any research on who coined uh, bomb cyclone, but it's uh, it's probably going to be with us forever. It's a very good, very good uh, description of this low pressure area that's, uh, that's located now uh, just about over the Great Lakes. And it's spinning in this counterclockwise. And of course, the place that gets the worst of this is at the end of the lake, Buffalo. A Buffalo, you can't even see houses. I mean, the snow has covered houses, whole houses. And I have a friend who used to live and work in Buffalo. He said it was just the worst place to endure a storm because of the wind coming off of the lake and bringing all that uh, added factor in the Arctic cold. So uh, the winter storm has uh, has uh, really caused all sorts of Travel chaos. Apparently, Southwest Airlines is one of the worst culprits in this. I've heard tell that there are people who have been sleeping in Orlando's International Airport for three nights now um, to try to to um, you know get out of there on Southwest Airlines. So you know the other thing that you have to watch is um, not only these record temperature drops where we had all of a sudden a change in some 40, 50 degrees practically within. Uh, a, a day cycle, um, you get, uh, you've got to protect yourself from uh, unintended consequences of carbon monoxide poisoning, being stranded in a car, uh, 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 somehow um, uh, unable to get help or get out. Um, a bomb cyclone, I'm, I'm just researching while we're talking, is an increasingly common phrase to uh, describe powerful low pressure systems that intensify rapidly and are accompanied by heavy snow and strong winds. Boy, then that sounds like a doozy, doesn't it? The term bomb cyclone came from the meteorological term bombogenesis, which refers to the central pressure of a low pressure system dropping at least 24 millibars within 24 hours. And uh, simply put, uh, according to the Weather Channel, this means a storm is intensifying quickly, which of course has all sorts of impacts on travel and uh, electrical uh, supply, heating and all that. They are not common, uh, uh, but also they're not rare. Um, the uh, Northern Illinois University found about 7% of all non-tropical low pressure systems uh, from the North America from 1979 to 2019 were bomb cyclones. So um, the majority of them occur off the east coast of the U.S. 
which averages about one a year. Um, so uh, here we have one though coming across from Canada and down across the country. And it is really something that is uh, uh, dramatically noticeable all over the place. So uh, there's a whole discussion here um, that uh, talks about the phenomenon known as the bomb cyclone, which we're experiencing. And in case you want to check it out, uh, go to uh, 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 you know the weather sources and take a look. They'll Google it. You'll find out what a, a bomb cyclone is. It is basically a hurricane in the winter. There's one way to look at it. It's the same counterclockwise configuration, and it's a uh, hurricane in the winter. So, but this time it's bringing snow and cold air and dragging it down off the Arctic area. So rather than bringing the tropical, as the hurricane does off the coast of Africa. All phenomenal phenom phenomenons that we deal with uh, as humans, right? Well, 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 well. I want to talk a moment with you about Florida growth. I'm telling you, um, we just talked about uh, dodging the, the, uh, the deal here uh, with uh, Gillum. Florida, I'm just looking at a couple of articles here that I'm referring to. Florida, this doesn't surprise you, has gained a net of 444,000 people just in this year, increase of 2%, uh, more than 1,200 a day. The top gainer behind Florida is Texas, 350,000. And then North Carolina, 126. So North Carolina is not even close to Florida. South Carolina, 95,000. California is minus 218,000. And New York is minus 222,000. And Illinois is minus 110,000. They lost the most, and they're all Democrat-run states. I mean, it's not much other way to look at it. So Florida is the fastest growing state in recent years. Um, and you can certainly see that everywhere you go, uh, you see the bulldozer or the crane working away at moving land. And to me, it's, you know, it's inevitable, but it's sad if you're here. Uh, you know, everybody would like to stop time when time gives him or her the best uh, kind of set of circumstances, but it, it is it is going to be rapidly passing as you watch growth come to Florida. It's um, it's it's really quite quite remarkable, and you can look at it as I rode around town yesterday. The shining city on the hill, known as uh, Gainesville, um, the way they're going to try to deal with it is by going up and then condensing everybody into very small places and spaces uh, and charging a lot of money for them because of the cost of building. And and um, that's the way people are going to be living. It's, it's going to be very, very difficult to find space around you and then to be able to hold on to that space and be able to uh, um, um, enjoy the space and pay for the space. And if you have it, somebody's going to want to come along 
and offer you a ridiculous price for it. I was talking to a realtor uh, just this weekend over the Christmas uh, uh, parties, and at the price of homes that are not very big, 1,200 square homes now, going for $300,000. Now, these homes a few years ago were, I mean, they were built in the 50s. Uh, you kind of have to go in and redo some of the things on them. But people don't mind. It's still a deal because they got a yard. You know, they've got a lot. Uh, they've got streets. They got lights. And it's a settled neighborhood. A lot of these are right around the, the, the northern side of 8th Avenue. To some extent, the south side, too. Right in that area are homes that you would not believe the cost of what they're going for. But they're still deals because they are near the university. They're near bus lines or near shopping. And that is really a very um, precious type of um, service to have. And you're close in. So the emphasis on this growth is going to be in the city of Gainesville going up, up, up. You can continue. Now, what's going to happen, though, And you're going to see into these neighborhoods. I know somebody, for example, who has a double lot. And this double lot is just north of 8th Avenue in that area in there and just um, west of uh, 13th. And sandwiched, if you will, between 10th and 16th Avenue. On that double lot, he has a house which was built in the 50s or 60s and he's reworked it and made it into a very, you know, very enjoyable place. But in his backyard, he could put a multi-unit in that neighborhood. He could put a quadruplex in that neighborhood. Now, what's going to happen? Right now, he lives on that lot and the extra lot, which is his backyard. They have, he has a car, his wife has a car, it's two cars. The streets in that neighborhood are narrow, very narrow, deliberately so, very quaint. But if you put a quadruplex, how many people do you put in each one of those units? Could you put three? Yeah, you could put three. So three times four is 12. Now you got 12 people in your backyard. Whereas right now, you don't have anything in your backyard. The trees, tranquility, P and Q. But financially, you might be offered something you can't refuse. And now you got 12. And how many cars? Or how many whatever? That's what's going to happen to these neighborhoods in the city of Gainesville. If this thing is not reversed, and that is the ability to cram into these neighborhoods things that um, would never have been thought of, would have had their own location before. And then, of course, who's going to pay to live there? Is it going to be, quote, unquote, affordable housing? Well, everybody knows that what makes housing affordable is what you can pay. Well, if you can't pay, somebody's going to pay. Well, who's going to pay? 
Well, it's going to be some form of government subsidy, is it not? And you can go take a look at government subsidies. You can take a look at the places right now that have them. And you can see who lives there and what the crime rate is and all that business. Single family resident neighborhoods were there for a reason. But you may have come to a time when because of Florida growth, you're going to say goodbye to it. It's one of those things that's forever gone. Now, you know, I go back to Florida before Disney. So I know what Florida was like. And of course, the generations before me went back before air conditioning. Florida was pretty wild and woolly, particularly as you farther, went farther south. Around Jacksonville, it wasn't the case. And, you know, down around Miami, it wasn't the case. And those coastal cities. But in the heartland, you know, I remember when Leesburg was out in the country. Uh, Lady Lake was out in the country. You know, they weren't connected in any way to Orlando. Goodbye. And that's going to come north. Already you can see, I've talked to people in Marion County, it's happening there. So it's going to be a challenge to hang on to the rural way of life. We know that. <clears throat> Couple along with this, um, a sanctuary city bailout is this. Um, um, I'm going to get into the immigration in a minute, but uh, let, let's talk a moment about the economy. I've been doing a lot of research on the economy. Uh, I've got a friend who's watching from time to time who's an accountant. I've been trying to get him to talk about the economy. Um, so maybe he can evaluate me if he's watching um, what I'm about to say here. And this is a, a pretty good article out of the Washington Examiner that examines um, what the national debt means to our lives and to the nation's health. Now, everybody knows as an individual uh, person, the best way you could live, I think everybody knows, because there's two schools of thought on this. Older people want to be debt-free. And as they're debt-free, they really have more discretionary money. The thought is because they're not going to be having to spend it on paying something off. So when you get into your retirement years, you try to enter debt-free. Younger people have become very pessimistic about ever living debt-free. And so some of the ones I've talked to said, oh, no, I'll just keep debt all my life and exit this world owing people. What do I care if I die and I owe people? That's not my issue. They gave me, the, they extended me the debt. They loaned me the money on the credit card or this or that or one thing or another. Why do I have to pay it off? Why do I just pay the minimum each month? And exit, I've heard them actually say this to me. It's a totally different type of world than the one I grew up in, the one I value. But it seems the country has adopted the very same attitude as the young people. You would think it would have adopted the attitude of the older people, since you would think that the people who run the country are the older people, the ones who've gone through this world and made mistakes and tried things out and had responsibility. And, and you would think that they would become your sage, wise elders. But they're not acting that way. 
just this is some of the some of the numbers I've run across. The national debt, and this is a moving target, of course. You know, while I'm saying this, it's increasing. It was 31 trillion dollars in October. Well, you can guess now it's it's a, a, a two months have gone by. So it's more than 31 trillion. Now, according to this analysis by the by the examiner, this is totally uncharted territory. These are debt levels that have not been seen before. Now, I didn't know this, but Japan has heretofore had the greatest national debt, and we're going to exceed Japan's debt. Japan's debt is the largest debt as a share of its economy in the entire industrialized world. The uh, Manhattan Institute uh, researchers say. Now, this debt is hovering around 120% debt to GDP ratio, all while the population is aging rapidly. Now, I'm thinking about the young people who say they don't care about paying off debt. The old people are fiscally responsible people who care about paying off debt. So if the young people are matriculating into leadership positions, when's the debt going to be, when's the paying off the debt going to become a value in leadership? I don't have the answer to that question. But very likely, if the debt obligations are not met at some point they're going to spiral out of control and then you're going to have interest rates soaring and that will mean inflation or a recession and a depression um the government may not be able to depend on deficit spending uh to get them out of the rut so there's going to be a default on the debt now possibly now, the way the government's been getting out of this is to simply print money. They've been averting, according to the analysis here, a default or a sharp tax increase and deep spending cuts. They've been printing money. And some of them think they can continue to print money. Some of the leaders actually in these bipartisan committees in Congress Feel that is a, one is a committee for responsible federal budget isn't too concerned about it. But the conservative world, maybe the one you live in, the one I was brought up in, my parents came through the Depression, monetary tightening, don't spend what you can't afford, balance your checkbook. In other words, austerity. We don't seem to have the congressional will to do. We don't seem to have the will for dramatic cuts to the federal budget. What we have there, or in its place, are massive tax hikes. I didn't want to get into this latest omnibus this bill. I'm going to wait and talk with uh, uh, Ted Yoho about Social Security and Medicare. And what irks those of us who are on Social Security, we paid into Social Security. We were taxed on that money go, going into Social Security, which they robbed from, 
to pay for other things. And we're taxed on that money coming out of Social Security. Your 401ks, you have to take money out of them at a certain age. The government wants that pound of flesh. And you get taxed on that. Meanwhile, there are no dramatic cuts to the federal budget. The federal budget does not even think about austerity. I was just looking over this uh, comment about sanctuary cities. I'll just run this by Chuck Sumer tucked into, this according to the journal, tucked into the Senate's version of this uh, uh, omnibus spending bill, $785 million for migrant services for food and shelter for illegal immigrants. And he put a good deal of it into his home state of New York. Huh? Huh? It's going after Trump's tax returns. It's a joke. It's nothing but show. It doesn't get at anything. How about going after the Congress's tax behavior? And you got Medicare that's consistently being watered down. So you've got a ticking time bomb on healthcare. And uh, we've talked about that on the show. Phil Kirpin talks about that, the American commitment. He knows it very, 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 very well. And then of course we have the pandemic when we borrowed money we didn't need to and sent out these checks the people that ended up pushing up interest rates and printing money and destroying the workforce. And consequently, slowing the economy. So servicing the government debt instead of helping the economy with a boost in productivity is actually kicking the financial can down the road. But if you're a young person, some of the ones I've talked to, that's the way to live. Go out of this world owing everybody. I mean, after all, they extend to you on credit cards and all these different plans so that you can have this baseline level of spending. You know, it's a, it's a catch-22. Extend credit so they spend money so they have to have more credit to pay off the money they spend. Kind of wild, isn't it? Well, sooner or later, if the government keeps practicing this, according to the examiner analysis, you're going to see a reduction in economic growth because more savings are going to be soaked up by the government to finance its deficit. And therefore, there's going to be less money available for home loans, car loans, business loans, and the investments that would otherwise grow the economy. So interesting. I mean, it's, it's on everybody's mind who has to balance his own checkbook, but it's not evidently on the government's on the government's mind, on Congress's mind. Six point two seven trillion dollar federal budget for fiscal twenty twenty two. The interest payments alone are four hundred seventy five billion. 
In about 30 years, paying on the interest, off the interest on the debt will account for nearly half of all federal tax revenue. Wow, wow, wow. You talk about leadership. You talk about uh, values. You talk about uh, what it is that... Uh, and our people think, oh, well, we're wealthy enough. We'll just, we'll, we'll be okay. And indeed, when you read these, this money being spent on entertainment, giving the Mets shortstop, one player, 275 million, I, I, you know, I, I can't remember the numbers. Meanwhile, you have a migrant influx. The migrant influx is immeasurable right now. It's made a big stink here with uh, Harris because the governor of Texas sent up three busloads to her place trying to make a point. You can't get Biden's attention on the issue. And meanwhile, Kimberly Strassel writes that the problem with his omnibus bill is it passed with Republican help. If Republicans really wanted to take a stand, I think there were 12 Republicans, I'll talk with Ted about this, 12 Republicans that chimed in and made this thing go, made this thing possible, which is really, according to Strassel, a central problem for the Republicans. Republicans haven't shown any fiscal restraint. The Republicans haven't shown any ability to deal with the border. You got individual governors making a stand like Abbott from Texas. It's really, it's really a, a, a going into 2023. It, it's going to be the big story. Probably is the economy. Denver. I want to conclude with this, feeling all sorts of strain with migrant influx. These cities can't handle this stuff. Denver is one of the numerous cities that's far from the southern border um, that has a recent surge in illegal. About 42,000 people entered the U.S. in El Paso just this month. Just this month. Denver has spent more than $2 million just on its response to an influx of immigrants, illegal migrants that they've got in Denver, just one city. Go figure. Well, I hope you have a good vacation. I hope you, uh, on Christmas, I hope you got, uh, a lot of cookies. Santa got a lot of cookies, I know. And um, hope you have a stay warm day. I think we're going to break this cycle and start to emerge from it. Have a little warmer week coming up. Warthog Command Center out.